This podcast was sponsored by Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services. Baba Sobers Wealth Management works with physicians, medical practices, and hospitals, providing comprehensive wealth management services for individuals and institutions. Visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC. FirstNet, built with AT&T, is the only nationwide wireless network built with and for emergency responders, including Arizona physicians, nurses, and other critical staff. FirstNet subscribers get a great mobile experience with added security and peace of mind. Visit firstnet.com to learn more. obvious to people who care for patients, um, but it's also just becoming um, more accepted that in order to really make impact and improve outcomes that we have to integrate. And um, I think the data shows it as well. And so we're just now getting to the place where it's becoming commonplace for practices to move in that direction. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. And our guest is Dr. Suganya Karapana. She is the Chief Medical Officer of Valley del Sol. Dr. Karapana is a board-certified family physician with 20 years of experience in healthcare and over 10 years of physician leadership in community health in the Phoenix area. She attended Cornell University for a Bachelor of Science degree in Human Biology, Health, and Society and Albany Medical College for her Doctor of Medicine degree. She then completed a family medicine residency and faculty development fellowship at Harbor UCLA Medical Center in LA and a master of science degree in healthcare delivery from Arizona State University. She is a certified physician executive, certified professional in healthcare quality and certified in healthcare compliance. Dr. Kurapana has dedicated her career to improving access to, to high quality healthcare services for communities with healthcare disparities and barriers to access and care. She has a special interest in integrating physical and mental health services in order to provide whole person care. She is a devoted wife, sister, daughter, and mother of two school-aged daughters. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really glad to have you on and talk about what your team at Valley de Sol is doing about um, integration between mental health and, and sort of traditional physical health services. I wanted to start by talking about the shortage of mental health professionals that we have in the Valley. I think every listener to the show knows that there is a shortage, especially in urban underserved and rural areas of the state. But why does that matter? Why does not having enough professionals in mental health matter to patients? And, and maybe why does it matter to other healthcare professionals and physicians? Sure. You know, starting with the COVID-19 pandemic, and now with this incoming recession, expected to persist you know, far into 2023, hopefully not beyond, um, the amount of anxiety, depression, and substance use disorder in our communities is at an all-time high. The prevalence of mental health illness in 2020 was over 20% for those living in the U.S. This increase in mental health in the community is also impacting mental health care providers. We've had an increase in the awareness in the field um, and that has led to um, creating new definitions um, and newer terms to, to talk about you know, trauma in the workplace. I think people have heard the term burnout for years, which is a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress. 
um, that has not been successfully managed. But now there's new terms that we're talking about, such as compassion fatigue. That's the physical and mental exhaustion and diminished ability to empathize and cope as a result of exposure to traumatized individuals. A newer term that we also talk about these days is vicarious trauma, which is a profound change in one's worldviews and belief systems as a result of working with traumatized individuals. Um, moral distress is a conflict and psychological disequilibrium between one's beliefs and values, institutional and workplace, workplace constraints. There's also a term called moral injury, which is distressing psychological, behavioral, social, and or spiritual response to witnessing, participating, or failing to present, prevent actions in conflict with one's own morals. And then there's primary versus secondary trauma, which is a traumatic experience that happens directly to a person versus exposure to another person's trauma. With this increase in mental health conditions in the community, leading to increased mental health trauma in the workplace for healthcare providers, it's creating a vicious cycle of mental health care provider shortages, which is very difficult to break. Thank you very much. It's really good to put that into perspective. I'm wondering how we measure this shortage because uh, there's increased access to uh, mental health, especially through telehealth, telemedicine platforms. So at, at Valley Do Solo, how do you measure the shortage of psychiatrists, psychologists, other mental health providers, and what ratio you think there should be? Sure. Well, you know, there are metrics used to measure shortages. Um, according to the National Council for Mental Health Wellbeing, there's nearly 150 million people who are living in a mental health professional shortage area. Um, the Federal Health Resource and Service Administration, HRSA, defines health professional shortage areas or HIPSAs as an area that have a shortage of either primary care, dental, or mental health care providers. Specifically for the mental health HIPSA scores, they can range between zero and 25, and they're based on the following factors. One is the population to provider ratio, and that gives us seven points. Um, the percentage of the population below 100% of the federal poverty level, which can give up to five points. The elderly ratio, which is the percentage of people over the age of 65, gives another three points. The youth ratio, um, and that's the number of people under the age of 18, um, and that's three points. The alcohol abuse prevalence gives another point. The substance abuse prevalence gives another point. And then finally, the travel time to the nearest source of care outside of that designation area gives you the, the last five points. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation within the state of Arizona, um, there is about 10% of the Arizona mental health need that's actually being met currently. And we would need 184 additional providers in order to remove that HIPSA designation for the state of Arizona. Wow. Okay. So you're saying uh, or that organization, Kaiser uh, Foundation, was saying that only 10% is being met right now? That's what they said. Yeah. Based in a 2021 um, assessment that they did. Wow. Okay. Um, that's astonishing. And I would imagine that that's getting worse because the population of Arizona is growing so much. Healthcare is a massive industry in, in the Valley, certainly, but throughout Arizona. Um, why do you think employers cannot hire behavioral health workers? Are they 
are they simply not there or is there something else going on? No, there's a lot of factors. This is a really big topic. In December of 2021, the Arizona Council of Human Service Providers wrote a letter to the director of our, of our Arizona Medicaid Access, Arizona Health Cost Containment System, that outlined very well why behavioral health providers are struggling so much to recruit and retain skilled positions at all levels. There was a large list, but some of these topics included inadequate compensation due to low and inconsistent reimbursement rates across health plans, the rates have just not kept up with um, inflation and overall cost of doing business for years. The vacancy rates and turnover rates are at an all-time high. Provider expenses continue to grow despite the loss of revenue. For example, training, overtime, temp labor, shift differentials, and the re recruitment and retention costs. Um, you know, there's a lack of applicants applying, um, as we spoke of earlier, with the, um, the burnout and other reasons that people are not able to stay in the industry, there's just not a lot of applicants out there. Um, you know, there are many different providers that have not been able to even keep their doors open because they cannot meet the staff and supervisory ratios that are required. The list goes on and on. Um, in addition to the issues that were outlined by the Arizona Council to access, um, there's that increased awareness um, around mental health injury and trauma that has taken its toll on mental health providers that are making them leave the industry. Yeah, thank you. I, we've certainly heard that in the Maricopa County Medical Society among physicians and, and others about those pressures. I want to get back to uh, telehealth and then we'll, we'll take a short break, but I understand telehealth is not a panacea. It is not the the way to solve all these problems, but it does expand access for some patients who can tap into telehealth and have Wi-Fi or go to a place where they can use it. And it also provides some clinicians with uh, greater flexibility to see more people and to balance their scheduling demands, whether in person or uh, virtually. Given the increased use of telehealth, do you still feel like we need more mental health professionals or do you think we could be more creative in how we tap into those who are already licensed in Arizona working elsewhere? I think you bring up a lot of really great points. Telehealth is definitely an option to deploy, to broaden our applicant pool, provide work-life balance for mental health service providers by removing commute times, hassle of meal prep, a variety of other reasons why people love to work from home. And opposed to some medical service lines where the hands-on exam is critical to the evaluation, mental health services can translate very well to a video visit. Um, however, with the digital divide and access to sufficient broadband Wi-Fi, technology devices, sometimes completing a telehealth visit can be still a significant barrier to many patients. Many patients also still prefer to come into the office um, because especially when we're talking about trauma, hist historical trauma and building um, relationship with their therapist for mental health services, they want to feel connected with their provider. And for some people doing that via telehealth doesn't give them that same connection with their provider. Another thing to consider is a lot of community-based services involve bringing the service line to the patient. So a lot of what we do at Vital Soul and then a lot of other community-based services is we have mobile units and school-based services. And so we are really trying to bring medical services out to the patients. And um, you know, that 
doesn't apply or doesn't translate well to a telehealth type of visit. Um, and so I think it is a piece of the answer and you definitely want to incorporate that into how we're going to um, attack this mental health crisis, but it's definitely not the, the full answer. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Suganya Karapana, thank you so much. We'll take a short break and continue our conversation about the shortage of mental health professionals and where to go next. We'll be right back. Interested in CME, patient and professional referrals, networking and connecting with other physicians across the valley? Want to be highlighted in our Arizona Physician Magazine and podcast? Or interested in exclusive discounts for your next vacation? At MCMS, we offer all of the above to fit your needs as a physician. Join us now. For more info, check us out at mcmsonline.com or give us a call today at 602-252-2015. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode, and we're joined by Dr. Suganya Karapana, who is the Chief Medical Officer for Valley de Sol. On the first half of the show, we talked about how there is a shortage of mental health professionals um, how that's being measured and by whom, and how we could try to integrate to some degree telehealth services to bridge that gap for access to patients um, and for the balancing of the, the careers that physicians and, and other healthcare professionals have. So let's talk about where we go from here. Um, who is working to solve this shortage of mental health professionals, and do you see any progress? The National Council of Mental Health Wellbeing is working at a national level to change legislation and regulatory rules for access to services within the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Specifically, they're working on legislation to change the Center for Medicaid for Medicare, um, the Mental Health Access Improvement Act. That's uh, Senate Bill 828 and um, House 432. This would allow for marriage and family therapists and mental health counselors to receive reimbursement from Medicare for their services, adding an estimated 225,000 Medicare eligible providers to the behavioral health workforce. That is huge. Also, the promoting effective and empowering recovery services, which is also the acronym PEERS, in Medicare Act, that's uh, Senate 2144 and House 2767, allows for the participation of peer support specialists in the provision of integrated behavioral health services to Medicare beneficiaries. Um, This also additionally um, provides legislation to define peer services in the Medicare program. This is really important because as we've talked about before um, in a variety of other settings in medicine, the importance of expanding your healthcare teams in order to provide services. Um, It's really important that we add healthcare professionals to the team to be able to meet this need. And these two um, particular uh, legislation will really help expand access to services. At a more local level, the Arizona Council of Human Service Providers has been advocating on behalf of behavioral health providers across the state um, with our state Medicaid program um, in order to reduce the administrative burden and reduce uh, in order to reduce burnout and improve retention, 
as well as improve reimbursement rates, as com I commented on before, being some of the issues that are um, impacting the ability to hire mental health providers. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks for sharing how there's some action going on locally and nationally as well. So uh, hopefully some of those bills get passed and funded. There's a lot of integration going on, right? So integration between traditional primary care providers who are integrating behavioral health into their practices and the other way. So uh, mental health agencies adding primary care services. And some organizations have been doing this for a while, but that's increasingly happening. Why is that the case? You talked a little bit about this, and I think you know reimbursement is a big part of it, but what do you see as reasonings behind this integration between behavioral mental health services and primary care? Um, I think that the reason why everyone is moving in this direction is that it's just become so apparently clear that, um, you know, your, a, a person's physical health can only go so far in getting better when there's a mental health component to their care. If a person has diabetes, for example, and their diabetes, um, you know, blood sugars are high and they need to take insulin, but they're so depressed that they can't you know, get the motivation to go to the pharmacy to pick up their insulin, to take the medications that they need. You're never going to actually be able to get their diabetes under control until you address that depression and vice versa. If a person's um, depression is you know significant, um, but every time you try to work with them on, you know, treating their depression, you know, they have some kind of um, cardiac episode and they end up in the hospital and their meds get adjusted and they have to go off of their depression meds, um, you know, you're never going to get their depression under control. And the body and the mind are so closely intertwined that you have to treat them both together. And um, as much as we've worked on interoperability and shared EHRs and communicating between providers, um, when these healthcare systems are in different um, are in different uh, hospital systems or in different places, the ability to communicate across agencies is so challenging um, that healthcare providers have realized that I really need to integrate. I need to be able to speak to the behavioral health provider as a medical provider. Behavioral health people really need to know what the medical provider is prescribing this medication for, or if this medication change could be the reason why this patient is feeling you know, more fatigued and more depressed. And that ongoing communication is essential to really figuring out how to best treat this patient. And I think it's obvious to people who care for patients, um, but it's also just becoming um, more accepted that in order to really make impact and improve outcomes that we have to integrate. And um, I think the data shows it as well. And so we're just now getting to the place where it's becoming commonplace for practices to move in that direction. That's really good to see. And a good example of that is Vitasol. So you've been running an integrated system since 1970, I believe, quite a while. Yeah. What have you learned about the balance of these services that patients are requesting for primary care and behavioral health? And what's the makeup of your team today to deliver those services? So uh, Vitasol definitely has its roots and its history for over 50 years as a mental health and substance use disorder agency specifically focused on Latino health. Um, the integration of primary care services came later in, in its history. Currently, okay. um, Vital Soul has general mental health, um, methadone, substance use disorder services, 
um, SMI, court order treatment, uh, school-based services, as well as um, psychiatric and primary care services. And its newest adventure is mobile health. And we have two with a third mobile unit on its way, um, which we're deploying into the communities. And so that's the, the makeup of uh, Vital Soul. Um, and I think it's so critical that our primary care and our medical and our um, behavioral health teams are working closely together in order to provide that whole person care. I've worked in two different settings myself. I've worked in an organization that was a primary, um, which was a, a medical organization that added behavioral health services. And I've worked in an organization that started out as a, a behavioral health agency that added medical services. And I can tell you both settings will have hiccups when you try to integrate <laughs> the other service line um, because they are very, very different. Yeah. Um, they have different ways of delivering healthcare, different billing requirements, different licensing rules, all sorts of things that are different about them. Um, but once you get over those logistical humps, it really is uh, the best outcome for patients. That's awesome. Uh, have you gone through training as a bus driver or to drive the mobile vans or whatever you guys are using? <laughs> Is that part of your additional duties as assigned as the CMO? I have never actually driven the units, no. Okay, <laughs> someday. Maybe you get to choose the music while it's driving. <laughs> I wanted to close this conversation about any recommendations that you may have for physicians listening. Tips that you could share to an audience of, of people who may be considering or going through this integration process of behavioral health and primary care. You just talked about how there can be hiccups, but how do you overcome those hiccups? How do you try to minimize those or prepare as much as possible to prevent them from happening? Uh, there's a couple of things. One is I would say, just because you're good at one line of business or service line does not mean you'll be good at the other. Um, and so make sure you bring in your subject matter experts and really be open to listening to um, be, you know, a different way of, uh, of doing things because um, you'd be surprised at, um, you know, what you can learn. Um, I think the other thing is uh, to really make sure that, that each provider type is really truly seeing the other provider type as a peer, as an equal, and um, that it's a true, truly team-based care. Because I think when the teams see each other as, um, as a partner, then the patients see that partnership and then they truly feel cared for by a team. Dr. Suganya Karapana, Chief Medical Officer for, for Valladisol, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your expertise and your background. Thank you. This production is brought to you by Maricopa County Medical Society. MCMS is increasing value for physicians throughout the valley. For more info, check out mcmsonline.com or simply give us a call at 602-252-2015. Helping physicians be the best they can be. Does your financial advisor help you pursue what matters most? With so much at stake when it comes to protecting everything you've worked so hard to achieve, it never hurts to get a second opinion about your financial future. At Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services, our approach starts by understanding your life and what you want to accomplish. Then we work together to create a framework designed to give you the confidence to do what matters most, no matter what the markets are doing. We want to help ensure you have all you need for today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. 
For more information about Baba Sobers Wealth Management, visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC.